the f is up internets i hope everybody's having a happy thanksgiving <clears throat> so we're going to enjoy a meal with you guys today since this is thanksgiving and uh while we're dishing out the food just wanted to give everybody a quick reminder to go ahead and feed us and how do you feed us by subscribing that's right so subscribe subscribe check out our patreon please uh consider becoming a patreon we have some awesome perks we'll be posting uh full episodes on there uncensored uh we'll be doing full interviews on there uncensored and uh other other really cool stuff that you can get um in return for supporting what we're doing here at TTFT. So please consider doing that. Um, let us know in the comments what you are doing for Thanksgiving this year. Uh, it's a crazy time to be getting together for the holidays. So we're interested to know how everybody's keeping the tradition alive in the midst of the COVID pandemic. I know one thing they'll be doing, David. They'll be doing what Mr. Roger Ebert does every Thanksgiving. They'll be previewing planes, trains, and automobiles. That is right, and that is the movie we're talking about today. That brings us right into our elevator pitch. Um, so, Durden, tell us, why'd you choose this film? I didn't choose this film. This film chose me. When I was a child, uh, my grandfather had a vast VHS collection, and uh, much to my parents' dismay, uh, due mainly to that 60-second scene at Marathon Car Rental, um, I was shown this movie at a young age and it made quite the impact on me. It's one of those movies that you just, you want to show to people. You want to keep the tradition alive. So that's what we're doing here today. Um, yeah, that, that's, that is my elevator pitch for the movie. It is just a Thanksgiving classic. It's a classic in general. It's John Hughes. Can you, you need to say more? No. Um, but please do. No, I, what I'll say is, um, uh, I... I liken it to me as well. I literally grew up a child of the 80s watching films from John Hughes. And at that time, I did not know as a child who the hell John Hughes was. But you grow up and you realize some of the favorite movies of your childhood and of your adulthood, of course, he has done. So for me, it was more so the first time I saw this, I told you I was about nine. And it's one of those films where you realize this is always going to be a part of my my childhood. This is that nostalgia moment. Whenever this is on, it brings you back to that time. And, and it wasn't just that it was a kid film or a Christmas film. It was the first film while I was like, I can see myself being frustrated like this at some point in life, and I'm gonna need to get that anger out somehow. So it's more so of a tutorial. So like you say, the film didn't choose you; it didn't choose me. Uh, uh, we didn't choose the film; it chose us. Us being a child, of the, a child of the '80s, we we are representation of the best era ever mm -hmm. in filmmaking. So suck it, '90s kids. Yeah, suck it, suck that clueless. <laughs> uh, rolling with the homies. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I wish I could just shove this food in my mouth. We don't have to do all the talking points. There's so many talking points to get into, but let's just go food. right ahead and get into talking during the movie. Ow! Let's do it. Um, the first thing that I noticed about this movie was uh, in the opening credits. Actually, there are no opening credits. They're it's not. just the title that scrolls, scrolls across the scene, mm -hmm. screen, just like um, just like a plane, train, or automobile would, mm -hmm. and I, I was listening closely and I noticed in the sound effects, it is the sound of a plane into the sound of a train into the sound of a car. 
uh, as it's scrolling across the screen. Exactly uh, right. I love that. That was one of the first points I had too, uh, Durden. Uh, as I looked at it, it made me think like as about as far as being creative. Like people always say, I don't have this program, that program. That took nothing more than title effects that have been around for who since who knows when. But mm -hmm. the the thought process and pre-production, like wait a minute, no, have them in that order. Make it seem like they're running across your face, and furthermore, do them in that exact order. Ninety-five percent of people probably missed that, and I know upon first watch, I missed it. But doing our deep dive. I got wet. Yeah, during as a kid, I never caught that, but that was like the first thing I noticed. I was like, huh, he did something interesting there with the uh, with the sound design. Mm. One of the things um, also uh, that I really love at the beginning, as soon as we get into the film, we catch a young Chris Golden, spry Kevin Bacon. Uh, you know, those are one of the things. Like you say, you see him and he's running against uh, Neil at the time, mm -hmm. and who was of course played by the iconic, legendary, needs no introduction, Steve Martin. One of the things I love though when that that scene first starts, it sets it up so well that I don't even know if you caught it upon rewatch. Steve Martin. Neil is running down this New York street with all his stuff in his hand and he's trying to get out of the way of a people out of people and leave it to 80 slick stereotype uh black man on the on the block in New York. He tries to get past the one black man. The black man's like <laughs> like they're playing some little game. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I was I was more so I was more so just enamored by Steve Martin's shimmy run. Like I kept cutting to his feet, barely making it like how right. is he even running like that? And the, the quintessential 80s soundtrack, that it was uh, very good. Um, one thing I wanted to take a moment to appreciate is John Hughes in general was such an amazing director at immersing you in whatever moment it's in. Um, oh, sorry, I'm not in my... Not in my sweat. Don't worry, guys. We filmed half the f***ing episode, and he's just not noticing. We need, we need, if you want to intern for TTFT, send in your resume. We just need somebody to literally tell him to take his f***ing jacket off. He said, the bloopers are just going to be us eating. No, it won't be. Ah, there Welcome we go. back. Yep, yep. Now I'm here. I knew I was going to do that when I put the damn jacket on. Um, but yeah, he's John Hughes is so great at, at putting you right in the moment you're in, making you feel... Not just the emotion, but but everything feels so tangible in his movies, from Home Alone to The Breakfast Club to this movie. Um, he's just so great at like just making you feel whatever is happening in the moment, and and capturing those little finite details that like just and it's extra effort that goes in. Like when Steve Martin's in the shower, he gets the soap all over his like. Mm -hmm. That soap is so strategically placed on his face, you could tell, to capture that feeling of, ah, ah, and it, like, little things like that. It's the best example I can come up with at the moment. Well, but, you brought up Home Alone. One of the things, of course, you know we're going to talk about clearly, uh, me and when me and you talked last night, I was like, hey, man, I didn't even, I mean, I'll admit it, I didn't even know John Hughes did Home Alone again, because again, I haven't went back to see who the director was. I just remember Macaulay Culkin again, bathroom scene. Mm -hmm. Oh! But the reason why I bring it up is I kept saying, even before I knew it, when we when I did the rewatch, I'm like, this f***ing house looks so f***ing familiar. Now, it's a whole other story. We'll talk about that later. I'm pretty sure that's going to be in David's top 10 facts. Not the so, same house, but similar neighborhood. Similar neighborhood because it was one town over. Mm -hmm. And see, that's what most people don't know. So I wasn't wrong. Like It's like he built the exact house he wanted, which makes much more sense. But here's the crazy part about it. He goes and do, does Home Alone years later. And of course, they built that set in a gym. 
But the exterior of the house is just like the exterior of that house that uh, we saw in Planes, Trains. Again, mm-hmm. very similar, not the same one. Uh, one of the other things I wanted which, to mention... Which most, of, most of his movies, take, if, if not all, take place mm-hmm. in Illinois. Right. Even The Breakfast Club, uh, I, was, I was really upset to find out later on in my life that Shermer High School, Shermer High School, Shermer, Illinois, mm-hmm. is not a real high school, and Shermer is not a real place. No. No, it's all fictional. Mm-hmm. Movie magic, love. Uh, but when you're talking about John Hughes, the director, I will say this. Um, when I went back and realized how much he did, I had to move him into one of my top 15 directors of all time. And the reason why I say that was one of the things you were just mentioning. Mentioning To me, he is a person, he did, he did to film what great announcers and storytellers did to radio. Like you said, they made you feel something. Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing for someone to talk and speak, but when they bring you into a story. So he's doing that with film, making you feel like your eyes are burning, making you feel that frustration. It, it takes a, see, it's not just the actor. It's the director knowing what he wants and the actor coming together. And that's what we'll talk about given later while this is one of those films that I think will be up there. But one of the other things I wanted to bring up was uh, when they first, what is it like the camera work? Um, when they first, and again, I don't know if it's a cinematographer, cinematographer, or whether it's John Hughes. When John, when Dale and Neil go into the the, the room for the first time, when they get their first hotel room, the moment Steve Martin's character Neil walks in the room, you see that quick survey. Now, mind you, he sees the bed, but he knows there is no way in hell that this is the only bed in the room. He surveys the goes past the bed, surveys the entire room, comes back, then looks again. I'm like, man, he was. What gets me is after after Neil is putting like like hanging his jacket or putting his stuff his way, stuff away, you see Dell take another look at the bed, like <laughs> one more time, yeah, like. <laughs> Like, how are we both going to do this? What did he say when he walked in? Hey, man, you want to uh, you want to you want to shower? No, me, no, no, you first. No, me, no, you, no, me. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So when uh, one thing that I appreciated was when when Neil spots Dell in the airport for the first time, and they they show him remembering by like putting the cab door in front of him. They could have easily just cut to a flashback in the cab. But they took the extra step of bringing a prop door from a cabin, putting it up. Because I'm sure this was done practically. This was before the age of digital effects. They put the prop door in front of him just for him to react and Neil to have that time where he remembers him. Little things like that is what makes sets these movies apart. This is what was f***ing with me. The silent conversation from that same scene when John Candy's character, uh, Dale, is looking at Neil. They both know it's them. Mm-hmm. But John Candy character, by the way, he has the Canadian book, the Canadian, the Canadian mounted book in front of him because he's Canadian. I don't know if you picked up on that, but he's he's like like slowly lowering the fucking book from him, and then we see he puts it back up like mm-hmm. like I know it's you. Like what yeah. what are you what are you doing, man? And so to me that was crazy. And furthermore, which brings me back to another talking point of why he even got the cab in the first place. Before that, when Steve Martin's character's Ned is telling the guy, he was like, "Man, come on, appeal appeal to your soul." It seemed like I don't have a soul. He's like, "Man, you're a thief." <laughs> like, no, I'm close. I'm yeah. a lawyer. Like, yeah. God, like, dude, this is freaking crazy, man. Any guy, any man that'll pay fifty will surely pay seventy five. Yeah, Sounds like some male prostitute or something like that, man. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, when he gets bumped from, so you get a little bit of premonition of what's what's about to take place in the best scene in the movie. Way back in the first time he's getting on the plane and he gets bumped from first class. The uh, I have a I have a first class ticket. You have a coach assignment. But uh, when when she's like, "Sir, I've had about enough of you," he's like, "Oh, 
you've had about enough, enough of, of me. me. <laughs> <laughs> like, right there, he already was in mode to be like, I want my f***ing first class yeah, yeah. right fucking And they up. had it circled. She showed it to him, too. She was like, yes, the first class did. But on the back, they just wrote a culture sign, like, like a magic marker. Brad or whoever the f*** comes in. She's like, oh, here, there, oh, anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, no. Love that. Love that, man. Uh, like I say, another thing about people being too comfortable, rest in peace to the great John Candy, again, Dale's character. Okay, it's one thing for you to sit next to somebody on the plane and they take their shoes off. You're like, what the, who the fuck is this guy? What do you mm -hmm. think? We're all on here together. He proceeds to, the, he, first he said, you got to let him breathe. <laughs> then the socks come off. He's whiffing the sock around. And, and at that point, I would have got kicked off. I would have been on the no-fly list. You're not going to yeah. whiff this sock in my f***ing face. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Um, one of the things I also love later on in the movie, like how, what other actor, comedic actor, what other artist can pull off selling shower rings as earrings on that note how he pulls off selling these shower rings as earrings is kind of bothers me because he go. goes in that scene he's like people like me because i'm the real deal what you see is what you get right meanwhile let me get you like these he's a salesman that's what he meant by that okay, okay. yeah he's so a salesman by yeah. all means necessary hey, you're right right he's the, the genuine thing there you go kid you got it let's take a moment to appreciate Doobie's Taxiola and Doobie himself. I remember when I was a kid, this this immersed me right in. I, I, somehow it still feels like holiday, but it put me like right in the in the atmosphere of, of where these people are when they get in that taxi. Just the character in there, the the set design in the cab itself. I just thought it was fantastic and. Um, Larry Hankin as Doobie was yes. uh, amazing. He, I think he went on to being like Billy Madison and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm insulting him because he's done a lot of a lot of stuff. But. No, he's definitely done a lot, man. I mean, he, I'll just I'll just send him to your fan page. It's okay. Um, okay, so this is one thing for me, and I found out later about this, but I have to get this out now. The scene later on in the film where they get picked up by the guy's son and uh in the truck the, the meth meth guy meth meth country guy he says a lot in that scene but one of the things i mean out of all of the sideways shit, no pun intended that he says in the scene it's not what he says it's what he does mm -hmm. he, sh he shakes dale ripple's hand and then he spits but some of the spits get, gets in the way and he catches it with his hand. And the moment he catches it with his hand, he shakes Steve Martin's hand. And Steve Martin's like, yo, what the fuck? He doesn't even say, yo, what the fuck? And the reason why he does not say it, that was improvised. It, was, it wasn't John. improvised. John Hughes told him to do that to Steve Martin. Yeah. If I was Steve Martin, I would have knocked that dude's ass out. You're not finna spit in your hand. and, and you've, you've been dipping. Because Steve Martin is a known germaphobe Correct. in real life. So John Hughes went up to, um, what's his name? Uh, I want to say it I'm is... I'm just calling him Meth Man. He is a fantastic actor, still working quite a bit today. Um, Dylan Baker. Dylan was, Baker. This was his first role, and that character was actually reprised. He he came up with all those face ticks, the noises. That was mm -hmm. all him. He made that character, and then John Hughes was like, "I I, I want a real reaction out of Steve Martin, as John mm -hmm. Hughes always does. He tries to create these moments where." It, it brings up about a uh, a genuine reaction of the, of the other actor in the scene. He's like, spit in your hand, shake his hand, and that disgusted face that Steve Martin gives him is like legitimate, which is not the only legitimate Steve Martin uh, reaction. Or, yeah, it is not the only legitimate Steve Martin reaction in the movie. There's another great moment, which... Um, uh, get into in the, in the scenes in the uh, favorite scenes. Let me bargain with you. Which which sounds better? 
$17 and a really nice watch or $2 and a Casio. John Candy tried to give this man $2 and a and Casio. He presents it like somebody <laughs> he on the did, TV. He did the shopping <laughs> network. He's yeah. rubbing up in it. Casio. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, again, only John Candy could get away. I guarantee Casios were worth a little bit more after that scene, though. And the, when they drive off in the LeBaron and they the, the side mirrors and everything is gone, did you see this f***er do the human hand signal turn when he came off the road? I'm, Which bothered me because in the very, first of all. Here we go. He's going like. Here we go. And there's in the scene right before that, they were using a turn signal. Correct. So the turn signals are working, but when he's uses the, using the turn signal when they're peeling out of the motel, he puts on the left blinker and they go right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, guess I don't. I, I can't make up for that. I, I don't know what. All I know is I wasn't on set doing continuity. Had they hired me, I was five at the time. Child labor laws, whatever. We'll get back into that later. For uh, for you diehard plane trains and automobiles out, fans out there know that there is a cut of this movie that is over four, four hours and a, long. four and a half hours that one is lost and never to be found but there is a cut that is over three hours um somewhere out there collecting dust deteriorating as we speak you could also check out the script which was 145 pages when steve martin got it he's like usually scripts are supposed to be like 90 pages and he, he even asked john hughes he's like are you gonna trim this down and John Hughes looked at him confused, like... Right, but he meant that And you could tell when you watched the movie, and we kind of get into this with Lila in the interview coming up, speaking of uh, Lila Robbins, who played Steve Martin's wife. We'll be talking to her later. <laughs> we'll also be talking to Andrew Hentz, who is uh, take a picture to last longer on the bus in a little bit. But you can tell when you're watching the movie that there are that there was so much more shot because sometimes you see it used in different scenes, like what would have been a fully fleshed out scene. He just took a little bit of the footage and used it. Um, there's a lot of moments where it's almost like you're getting the punchline of a joke before the, then you never got the setup, like the setup was on the floor somewhere. Um, it still plays perfectly fine. It's perfectly paced. But there is a three over three hour movie out there somewhere and a hundred and forty five page script for all you diehard fans that want more of planes, trains, and automobiles. Maybe we'll get that one day, like the Snyder cut. Right. The well, Hughes maybe cut. I would like to thank the estate of Mr. John Hughes. We'll see our show and understand how good and how we've done with this. And as a secret gift to me and you, will sign <laughs> in the end. We'll just get we'll just get a copy of it. One of the things I want to bring up, of course, most, when I bring up this reference, most people when I bring up the name uh, Edie McClurg, when I say that, most people are going to say, okay, that's the reference. They know what scene that comes from. But follow me, guys, real quick. Of course, she was in another one of our '80s movies growing up, Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Days Off. But oh, that's not Rooney, right? Oh, and. <laughs> That's not the only connection between both films, though. Notice, what shot do they go to? They think he's a righteous dude. (laughs) What shot do they go to when Steve Martin's character's Ned comes in the airport after he falls down the ice hill? What do you see? The sloppy shoes, the messed up pants, the same thing that happens to Ed Rooney. But here's the crazy part. I'm going to f*** you up even more. He is getting off a bus when that happens in planes, trains, and automobiles. What you, uh, Rooney is getting on the bus mm-hmm. in Ferris Bueller when that happens. Eden McClurk, we love you. You just bring all my life together. Which to this day, fun fact about Edie, people still come up to her and ask and ask her to tell them you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Which I couldn't imagine. She's got to be like a, at this point a sweet oldish lady. Like have some manners, people. No, if Doctor Ruth can talk about, and so can she. No, okay, yeah. Um, 
in the first uh, this is the first time i guess i was a i was i was younger the other times i've seen this movie and it, i didn't pick up on well you would have to be younger because unless sure. you're <laughs> yeah no, uh, everything that's happening now hey, is happening now we did tenant on episode two there you're is right, you're, you're right you're right time is blown <laughs> but i didn't pick up on this little detail in the mo- the first motel room they stay at there are two perfectly placed handprints on the wall above the bed just like Again, those little details that John Hughes throws in his movies that fully immerse you in whatever situation you're in. This is a seedy hotel room. Seedy shit goes on there like in it. real life, too. Stay, stay tuned for big facts. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the handprints on there, I thought that was a very nice touch in the first hotel room they stay in. All right, so I have to uh, I have to reference this. Two things I want to reference really quick. The first thing, obviously, if you noticed it, was the uh, Cool Runnings reference. Mm-hmm. John Candy's character does a Jamaican accent years prior to doing the film Cool Runnings. And it was just so amazing to see that. And then, uh, furthermore, if I'm not mistaken, he drops the line. Uh, the same line he says about the car, he says about the sled. It's not pretty, it'll but it'll get you where you, you want to go. go. So, boom, check mark, blue check mark for that. Love it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things me and you are more than likely going to disagree on is the film Due Date. Clearly, I, I hate remakes and I hate sequels. When I tell you Due Date did this film such justice for so many reasons, but one of the main reasons which you thought you did not exist, which you tried to talk to me about last night, was that it had no now don't get me wrong it's not it's not the emotional pull at the end that i would not say that it's not trains planes and automobile however mm-hmm. the trunk which john candy carried around which carried his uh picture pillow. of his wife and his pillow mm-hmm. the the trunk and due date was the urn that zach galifianakis carried with his father's uh ashes in it so to me they're both traveling across the country with memory uh, no don't you do it nope nope don't you do it contrived contrived Deri- by derivative of what they're just they they saw like oh planes trains and automobiles automobiles did this let's just take that formula and slap some new details oh no it didn't feel as there wasn't as much weight to it no it wasn't as much weight but i'll be completely honest with you it like if you want if you want to ask me which one's funnier i don't think you want to ask me that i i don't think there's a winner i'm serious like due date does it for me man i'm sorry what are you doing? Go to beat my boys at Chili's. He got his ass whooped by uh, Danny, uh, not Danny Masterson. Sorry, he's in jail somewhere, but you know what I'm talking about, guy. Uh, uh, yeah. Listen, okay, so clearly I'm, we're going to disagree on I'm, this. We're yeah, not going to have a kill mother exactly. situation. I'm just letting you know this for is, all my fans out there, due date fans, holler at me. And if not, hate is, on him. This is Thanksgiving. Let's just be thankful that we have two movies to enjoy. One that's excellent and another one. All right. <laughs> Um, uh, one thing I, th- so I, I wonder if Neil is always as edgy as he is in this movie. Like we're seeing him in a moment in time where everything is going wrong for him. So he, he comes off as like the prick. He comes off as like having no tolerance, no patience. And, and I always thought that this is just who he is. This is who he is as a person, but for the first time last night when I watched it for the deep dive, it dawned on me that maybe we're just seeing him react appropriately to all the bullshit that's happening to him. And the glimpse that you get of who he might really be, aside from those characteristics, is when... The flashback scene? or the Well, when he's on the, uh, when he's on the train the first time, and speaking of uh, 
Planes. See? Yes. <laughs> Guys, do not how much it, do you not know how much it costs for a flyover? Kids, save up. <laughs> when he's on the train for the first time, uh, thinking that like, all right, I'm home free. I'm finally going home. Not at the end, but that, that right. where he's sitting next before it breaks down. Yes. Where he's sitting next to the girl. Um, suddenly he's the chatty Cathy. Like, you going home? I'm, I should make it just in time for dinner. Like, he is almost like John Candy's character in right. that moment because things are finally, he thinks, going to work out for him. So that was just interesting to me. I was wondering if maybe... But to more to that point, it showed his humanity later on, maybe two or three minutes later, because when he clearly had a chance to get get Dale out of his life, he sees him carrying the, the, the suitcase and barely making it across the field, and he goes to help him. So if mm -hmm. he was a prick and always edgy, he wouldn't have done that. So that definitely speaks to your point. Um, one thing before we move off of this, I know we're coming oh, down. No, no, I got another yes, page. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Bueller, Bueller. Bueller, mm -hmm. I, no, that's our that second connection to the uh, to the films from Ferris Bueller as well as Planes, Trains, Automobile. But it was what he said when he said all flights have been canceled, and he gets this big fucking smile on his yeah. face, like you're smiling at my fucking misery. And if you look on the screen behind him at that time, the, nowhere, the, nowhere. They yep. say they're fucking going nowhere, guys. You can't keep up with us, um, Man, mustard. <laughs> The, the and speaking of John Hughes references, there's another John Hughes reference uh, in this movie. How it ends? It ends with the freeze frame of John mm. Candy smiling. Not Uncle Buck. What movie was it? We did the freeze frame. Um, Uncle Buck. <laughs> oh, Mr. Roy, you're on. You're on fire today. Yeah, they, they both end with that sweet smile of John Candy just freeze framing in the thing. I love that man. Let me make sure we didn't miss it. Like guys, oh, there's a. We, they, I got I got oh. one more page here. Oh, uh, I, I could rapid gun through them if we need to. So the uh, Del, Del's wife. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, Del's wife is dead. dead. He's alone. He just wants a friend. Mm -hmm. So when you realize that, when when you go back and watch the movie, knowing that it is. There is, it's another is movie. so much more emotion to it. Like It's another movie. When they get on the train, he's trying so hard to get Neil's address. Right. Because if he this isn't like 2020. You can't find him on Facebook after this. You can't like there's the only like once they part ways, the only way that they're going to meet again is by happenstance. Maybe no, say, no it's not cuz he stole his he stole his he stole his uh, Madonna's club card. He was going to mail it back to him. Didn't have any address. address. <laughs> so that 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 moment hit me, and when he's like, "I haven't been home in years," the uh, you know, and he says, "Just a figure of speech you know, in I'm the diner." On the road. Mm -hmm. um, and then that that moment where Neil wants to, he's like, "Maybe maybe we should divide and conquer. Maybe we should go our separate ways." Oh, we he broke his heart when he said that. That dude. is the only time that you see Dell like offended and on the offensive. Like he's like, "I'll see." No, you I'll go this time. I'll see you around. Yeah, sure you will. Like right. you never see him kind of like angry like that express anger in any way like that so that was um and then uh when they're sitting in the car and he's like he's talking to his wife and you're like the first time you watch it's like yeah you could he's just imagining he's talking to his wife but then you know that she's not there he's really talking to her spirit right. like i wish you were here but you know with me right now but i guess that 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 isn't gonna happen mm -hmm. um and then uh and then when they're when they're drinking and and Steve Martin Neil says to Dell he's like at the very least you have a woman you love to grow old with and Dell just like that look that Dell gives him like 
he wants to tell him in that moment, but he doesn't want to ruin the good vibe. And last thing, real quick, uh, the uh, be appropriate to end on John Candy. Remember, at the end, he's <clears throat> he's 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 trying to help someone get home. He's in the back of a van, just like in Home Alone reference, trying to give her help her to get home and Kevin mm -hmm. in the back of a van. Okay, let's talk about the fact that Dell sabotages Neil completely. Oh, like they like uh, Zach Galifianakis did Robert De Niro, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Do that. All right, you get you get one more due date in this episode that has nothing to do with due date. Okay, subpar. I, I'm a fan of Robert Downey Jr. and I'll, Zach Galifianakis, which is why I was so let down. They could have done so much better. Did you see Doctor Doolittle? That's when I was let down. Yeah. Let's, no, let's, let's no I didn't. Neither did most. <laughs> um, so the, the and the reason why I bring up the whole sabotage and Neil's because I have an interesting theory about how this movie is not a happy ending. Because you have all right, so first he trips over the chest mm -hmm. that he that that costs him the first cab. Then he steals the next cab, mm -hmm. and then uh, I I and and I know we talked about this earlier. We both are in the firm belief that he stole that rental car. Oh, you definitely you stole it. V five. You v don't. I think it's J five. No, it's V five. Okay, I'll, I'll, money. I'll, it's V five. No, I'll trust your memory on that. Thank you. Um, I I. You see the skid marks pulling out of there. You cannot get, uh, like like Neil says, you can't get a rental car with uh, with uh, shower curtain rings. You also, I don't think, can get a rental car with a diner's club card. Yeah. Um, so I, I firmly believe that he stole that car, screwed him out of the rental car. Uh, and it's kind of shown visually when they get caught between the two semis when Dell is driving them the wrong way on the highway, literally taking him in the wrong direction. Uh, he turns into the devil. Neil sees him as the devil. <laughs> he did say that. Um, he did do that. And then uh, when the car blows up, he's, Neil's like, ha, you finally did it to yourself. And he didn't. He and did it to you. Still, so the reason why I think this is a, it's not a happy ending, it, even though, you know, it is on the surface, it's feel good, it's emotional. But if you really think about the implication of what's happening here. Dell, the rest of Neil's life is going to be like this now. Right. Like he, I know it's, I know it's heartless to say, but he should have left him at that train station because his family is going to now pay the price for this decision he made to bring Dell home. Right. It, there's just a Put lot this to way, be implied If there. you're talking about the lost footage of this film and you're talking about how it, it's not a happy ending, what I thought was maybe at a certain, you know, people snap at a certain point in life. So maybe when he left, he was like, you know what? He was leaving like, you know what? This motherfucker caused me a lot of anguish this weekend. I'm going to kill him. I'm literally going to kill him. Come with me. No, what are you doing? No, no, no. Come with me. He brought him home. And, like, his wife was probably crying because he's happy. He said, we don't know what happened. Maybe I'll, I'll just stay for a little bit, and then I'll head out. Just come in, Dell. Dell. Yeah. Um, awesome. So just some, uh, some fun facts that I came across that. These aren't really, top ten facts. These are fun facts. Yeah, just didn't really fit into the, the big bites. Um. Of their own films, this was both Steve Martin's and John Candy's favorite movie that they starred in, mm -hmm. um, which is cool. So if this is your favorite movie, you have something in common with John Candy and Steve Martin. Yes. Except you didn't star in it. Uh, mm -hmm. The exterior shot of the plane in flight. Is From airplane. Mm -hmm. I saw that. I saw that real time. I'm lying. I had to look that up, but shit, it felt good to see it with confidence. That, this is something that I think is amazing. This movie only took John Hughes three days to write. Now, 20 rewrites, 
But sure. three, no, but I'm just, we're going by what he said. Yeah, 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 definitely. But and but even in general, like most of his movies take took him three to five days to write. So like all you people out there, it's like I'm still working on this script. It's almost ready. I'm gonna just gonna get it done in a little bit. I just gotta I gotta get it right. That take your hundred and he wrote 142 pages in three days, 72 hours. And I'm fair this now. We must state that it was this film was based off his own experience now. So it's a little bit easier to write when it's something that's pissed you the fuck off. However, guys, he's right. Sure. I don't want to see your your rewrites and your re just put the shit on film. If it's shit, make it better shit until it's good shit, until it's not shit, until it's the shit. Fix it in and post. Yep. There you go. Uh, put that on the show. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, now what the fuck? You're on that shit again, aren't you? Yeah. I'm on, uh, let me grab a fork. You had one. <laughs> so guys, this is where I take a time out to tell you we're having an intervention for David. He's, he's using Surge again. Makes your brain big and your dick small. Don't let him do it to you guys. Oh, sorry. What, what did I miss? What'd you say? Nothing. All right. You have a huge one. <laughs> um, so, all right. We, we talked about the John Hughes stage and improv moments. That was good. Um, did you notice anything about the rental car? Which one? The one that was... And, and I'll give you a hint. We're talking about the... like doing callbacks to other John Hughes movies. This th That car was used in another one of he, the films he did one year prior to that, if I'm not mistaken. Not used, but it was it was done in the same uh, spirit of, to kind of resemble the Griswold station wagon. Yes, yes, freaking... Uh, Clark. I, yeah. Man, see, see what I'm talking about, guys? He's giving us so much. <laughs> and the last thing I have is on Dell's trunk, his name reads Del Oh, uh, D-O-G. Dog, Spaceballs Rich. reference. Okay. You want that? Because I got that. You yeah. want that because I got that. Barf. Or you want that because that's the acronym too. Ludicrous speed. Oh. All oh. right. That concludes talking points. Let's move on to Big, big Fox. Let's Can we do Big Fox? Sure. Three, two, one. Let's move on to Big Fights. All right. Here we go. We have 10 facts for you today. Number 10, out-of-towners. When Neil tells a hotel desk clerk he has been wearing the same underwear since Tuesday, Dell says, I can vouch for that. That remark is made in the out-of-towners several times by Gwen to confirm George's version of events. And Steve Martin actually went on to star in the remake of that film. And kids, don't wear your drawers. Like, at least turn them inside out. Number nine, predictions. In the famous Those Aren't Pillows scene, Neil asked Dell if he saw the Bears game last week. Hell of a game, hell of a game. Bears got a great team this year, going all, all the way. Thanksgiving fell on November 26th in that year, as it does this year when this episode will be airing now, as you're watching it. Um, meaning that the previous Bears game fell on November 22nd. In, in that game, the Bears had an impressive 30-10 to 10 win over their rival, Detroit. Um... Also, in, uh, in, in the vein of predictions, in St. Louis, Dell mentions that he called a good friend at Eastern Airlines, and it doesn't look good. Ironically, Eastern Airlines actually filed for bankruptcy two years later and ceased operations one year after that. And ironically, that'll be the last time you hear Durden Garfrey ever give you a sports reference on this show. It felt very unnatural. Mm -hmm. Number eight, real sketchy. The owner of the Braidwood Inn featured in the film was arrested in March of 2019 on charges of promoting prostitution on the premises. The motel had also been the site of two drug overdose-related deaths. So let me get this straight. He didn't get in trouble for promoting prostitution. He got in trouble for promoting prostitution on the premises. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, cool. Do it, okay. uh, do it over there. All right. Number seven, the house John built. 
an unspecified actor who portrayed a truck driver. We are assuming this actor is Troy Evans, who is uncredited as the shy truck driver who makes him ride in the back, was only supposed to have one line and work for one day. But because of weather-related delays, Hughes kept him on standby while the crew waited for snow to come. The actor ended up working enough days to earn enough money to put a down payment on a house. Let that be a lesson to all your aspiring actors, actors and actresses out there. Sometimes being an extra means you get extra money. Keep up, kids. Yeah. Um, number six, planes, trains, and bobsleds. As you mentioned in the talking points, John Candy uses the same line in both planes, trains, and automobiles and cool run-ins. It's not pretty to look at but it'll get you where you want to go. John Candy also does a Jamaican impression in both films. Number five, Tom and John. John Hughes originally wanted Tom Hanks to play Neil and John Travolta to play Dell. Hanks was unfortunately unavailable due to shooting big and Paramount execs didn't want Travolta because he was considered box office poison at the time. He started at the bottom, now he's back at the bottom because he's apparently box office poison now. Has anybody seen Gotti? No. <laughs> and the, yeah. He, no, he, just, it got Razzies. Uh, Razzies. Um, I mean, I just keep watching. I just keep watching. Look, look who's talking again. So I don't have to see him. Just listen. You know, I've actually worked with John. Wait, you do have to see John and look who's talking. It's Bruce Willis. You don't have to see. Yeah, but that's why. That's what I'm telling you. It's messing me up because I've worked with John. Yeah. Yeah. Are you gonna speak about it? No. I mean, it came up organically. I know. What do you want to speak about? What are you? What are you? What are you trying to? What are you trying to hint, hint at me at? Well, it's too late now. Okay. I work with John. We get into that in the interview with Lila, too. Um, Thanks, John. It's how we met. Is that, is that what oh, you're Oh, well, I thought you were getting there. Me? Yeah, so because of John Travolta, he, he rose to enough fame to somehow bring our lives together yeah. for you to get on the show and shit on him. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> hey, I'm not shitting on him. He's shitting on him. Um, okay. Speaking of John's... Uh, John Goodman was also eyed to play Del Griffin, so John Hughes really wanted a John for that role, apparently. He landed on John Candy, finally. He's still acting. He still has his acting chops, by the way. Oh, yeah. Goodman he gets better with better with age, like yeah. a fine wine. Wine, yes. Number four, Snow Problem. Snow Problem. Uh, it was quite an undertaking creating the snow-covered scenery you see in planes, trains, and automobiles. The night scenes on the highway were filmed in Central California, and fake snow had to be applied to the sides of the road so it looked like Midwest winter. The scene in Lambert, Lambert Airport in St. Louis uh, were shot uh, were shot during the winter, but it was uncharacteristically warm, so snow had to be trucked in for that as well. All along, the cast and crew actually traveled from the Midwest to the East Coast and back in search of snow for many scenes, but it always seemed to melt whenever they arrived. Talk about fiction meeting reality. They were on their own road trip during production. I can speak to that because the one thing I don't think you have in there that they, this was a $30 million budget in 87, which is a lot of money, mm -hmm. but it grossed $50 million world, worldwide, meaning that this cult classic only made $20 million. Mm -hmm. And I guess John Hughes has something to do with that. Uh, number three, Double Bacon. In the beginning of the movie, Steve Martin's character Neil races Kevin Bacon for a taxi. Later, when Neil is on the phone with his wife, a scene from She's Having a Baby, also directed by John Hughes and starring Kevin Bacon, can be heard in the background. Later in the motel scene, She's Having a Baby can be seen on the TV, even though it wouldn't be released until a uh, year later. Another fun fact, Kevin Bakey... Kevin Bakey... <laughs> Kevin Bacon stars in She's Having a Baby, and John Candy makes a cameo in that. John Candy, of course, stars in 
plane trains and automobiles and kevin bacon makes a cameo on it i'll be doing number two for a rock for a specific reason number two trains the fictional name of the railway in the movie is contract a combination of conrail and amtrak the train used to set that set dormant in western new york since the film's production still being uh still bearing the contract logos and and as i i don't know if you mentioned this but of course, or of course i didn't know if you knew my dad of course worked for amtrak and whatnot so for years retired with amtrak so it was definitely see, good to see that good call back um no i know i'm number one keep telling everybody put it up higher Mr. Humble. Uh, is Coke sponsoring us now? Mm-hmm. I got I, I have nothing up here with the name on it. <clears throat> um. Is it quenching your thirst? Yeah. Oh, it's good. Coca-Cola. The real thing. Coca-Cola. The, the real thing. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Um, no travel companies wanted to be associated with the movie being portrayed as inept or deficient in any way. So crews had to rent 25 miles of train track, refurbish old railroad railroad car, railroad, uh, refurbish old railroad cars, construct an airline terminal set, design and create uniforms and logos for a fake rental car company, and rent 250 cars for the famous marathon car rental sequence. Guys, this we're having an excellent producer comes in at because they'll save you so much money. Yes, yeah, <laughs> we were talking about this before. It's pretty damn simple, like to avoid having to rent two. What was it? Two hundred and fifty cars, and that yeah. And all, you know, it wasn't just for one day. Yeah, yeah exactly. like the cat. What did the cast and crew drive there in? I'm pretty sure they drove there in cars. So just like instead of parking them in the production lot, park them in the lot we're gonna film in today. That had to take care of at least fifty, maybe seventy-five cars. Maybe have some fans that are of John Hughes of the Breakfast Club or whatever come in like, hey, you want to watch John Hughes production? Park your car in this parking lot, stand to the side, watch Steve Martin flip out. Save yourself all that money. I'm going to pitch you in some big budget meetings. <laughs> Number one, in the marathon car rental scene from uh, the time Neil begins his rant until the time that the attendant says you're f***ed is a 60 second moment containing 18 the film would have easily passed as a PG-13 or even PG film if not for that single scene, arguably the best moment in the movie. It is actually rated PG in New Zealand even with the car rental scene. This scene is one of two scenes that made Steve Martin want to take the role, the other being that seat adjustment scene. One thing I learned from that uh, fun fact is I want to go to New Zealand. You know why? Because they don't give a f <laughs> Yeah, they do give a f But they don't. They don't give a f about all right, for the special section of Big Facts today, we have the top 13 John Hughes films. And I'm just going to machine gun these off. They're going to have no description applied with them. I'm just going to give you the titles because you should already know about them anyway. Number one. Thir no, let's start on 13. Let's go to number one to, to create drama know. or to yeah. create me. <laughs> number 13. Baby's Day Out. 12. Dutch. 11. Mr. Mom. 10. 16 Candles, which he also directed. Also, yes, 9. Home Alone. 8. National Lampoon's Vacation. One of my favorites, number 7. Weird Science, again, he also directed this one. Weird Science, 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 number 6. Career Opportunities, which also made our list last week on the comedies that you don't know about but probably should. Give me five Griswolds. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Love it. My uncle likes the... Give me four. Uncle Buck also directed number three we shouldn't even have to say it but ferris bueller's day off which he also directed of course number two this movie right here planes trains and automobiles also directed and although we're having dinner number one is the breakfast club 
hey guys, those are the top 13 John Hughes films. But guess what, John? We love you. There'll never be another one of you. The world's an imperfect place. Screws fall out all the time. It's out of my hands. <laughs> that is big facts. Let's get right the hell on to seven minutes in, in heaven. heaven. All right, guys, you know what Seven Minutes in Heaven is. This is where we really tell you about our favorite scenes of the film. And to be honest with you, when you're talking about a classic, your favorite scenes are going to be biased. So what we tried to really do is narrow this down to what we really thought really stood out in our mind or whatnot. So, again, one of the uh, real quick honorable mention we already talked about, he was like, I have a first class ticket. And she was like, you have a coach assignment. Meaning like, yeah, uh, it's like a... It's, it's, I, I liken it to just really like you really think that this ticket means that nothing can't go wrong in your life oh no even with rich white people guys let me tell you something there's still a class mm -hmm. so if you're rich and right, rich white with a whole bunch of money in the bank there's someone above you who will make you feel like shit. so just just to give you a heads up this is an 87 it's 2020 what the fuck up and with that being said um one of the best scenes in the film that I really like uh was for me this motherfucker says Okay, no. Okay, this is my bigger boat. I, I still need to say, I don't give a f***. Okay, no, I got to speak the part because I'm going to use it for the bigger boat, so I'm not going to do it. All right, I'll take the first one because I, I have three plus an honorable mention. Go. Uh, my honorable mention would have to go to um, when they when they ride to the... Uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to make my honorable mention when they... Yeah, when they ride to the hotel in the burning car, when they come pulling up in the car, it's f***ing smoking, and then you get the skeezy motel clerk, like... Um, would you like a room? And then the way, of course, the way Dell tries to present his Casio. <laughs> rubs it across his sleeve. As I'm laughing at this, I'm, I'm, my heart is breaking for him. I feel so bad because it goes, then, like, you know what's in store for him. And it's like, I'm going to have to say goodnight. And he's just sitting out there in the car just like, and, it, and the car is now a convertible, and it's snowing, <laughs> and he's just sitting there, and snow is collecting on him, and he's talking to his, how we, who we know now as his dead wife. Yeah. And, um, and that then guilt that, was so thick that it crept into Steve Martin's room. It's so that, that, And that's the other thing. Like, you watch Steve Martin feel, feel for him the way you feel for him, and that's when you identify with Steve Martin. Like, okay, me, uh, Steve Martin and I are on the same page. He has a lot to put up with, but... Damn it, I feel bad for But go him. back to John Hughes, though. Attention to detail. They made sure to show you in that hotel room that, that there were two beds. Now, I did have... Uh, yeah, I love the fact that they that, that, that scene goes from you're, you're cracking up, you're feeling bad, and then you're cracking up again with them together now. They're, everything's good. They're get, this is like the first time that they are making a, a friendship connection. I do wonder, though, like... They were they were short on cash. The whole car is burned. Like, where is all of these little liquor bottles coming from? Where oh, no, it came with the room. See, I know you're not an alcoholic. I'm a functioning alcoholic. With certain hotel rooms, the not the higher ups, but the middle offs, they have they all have this thing called a mini bar in your room, a mini that, fridge that you kind of have to. I guess they're not worrying about it being comped on the room because they right. just wrecked for the. And let's be, and let's be clear. If you drink all of those things in there, you're going to need them a lot more than they're going to need you. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, one of the one of the best scenes for me that really, uh, I only have two to be honest with you. And that's what I'm saying. I, this entire film, which is so great, I narrowed it down to two personally for me. Number one, the mess around. And that, to yeah. dude, this, okay, John Candy, is the artist that he is, I mean, the, the camera gravitates towards him. He doesn't gravitate towards the camera. Number one, 
the person you've pissed off for the last four or five days is sitting next to you finally getting some sleep <laughs> in the seat that you f***ed up because he asked you not to f*** it up. Yeah. He does not smoke. John Candy has been smoking heaters religiously, back to chain smoking. All. So, so, so the dude sleep. John Candy is banging the music so loud. The song's called The Mess Around. Not only is he banging it, he's smoking, hands not on the wheel. He is playing the piano on the dashboard and, of the car. And the saxophone. And, oh, he went to the sax later. He came back to the sax. <laughs> and so he's so into it. And clearly, that, not to mention that he flits the cigarette out the window, which anybody knows who smoked a blunt, a beady, a cigar. If you flick something out the window, there's a 95% chance if that back window's down, it's coming right just mm. guys it's gravity build build not the science guy build 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 so my point to you as he's doing that that goes into he's playing these air instruments i'm like this is john candy at his best i miss this shit in hollywood then after that what you don't understand is th they say they say you're going the wrong way that whole sequence of them trying to tell each other but but real quick before i get it because they all trying to tell them they're going the wrong way but what really got me on that is that song the mess around wait wait but on that they're you're going the wrong way that's that's like when he's like how do they know where we're going, going. and it's like martin's like, like yeah, yeah how do they know where we're going thanks, thanks. yeah we'll be good but then they see them the next day. That couple, the same couple, sees them driving down the road when they're like, when they're listening to the other song. I can't remember what it is, but they're just singing. Like now they're happy, and that like that same couple they were trying to I tell them that. they're going the wrong way. They see them driving down the road, just, just happy, happy go lucky, singing in the burning car. They, that couple's gotta be like, they either gotta be like, man. F or I wish I was them because they are obviously living their best life. L nothing in life can take away from them. One small reference to that scene, though, like I say, classical scene, was the f the song The Mess Around done, number one, it was featured in the Blues Brothers nah, with nah. Ray Charles and John Candy. I'm going to give you one more depth so we can rest in peace these people and show them respect. That was, those were three deaths of, of classic icons that we talked about. We started out with the mess around and we said John Candy's died. Mm -hmm. Ray Charles died. He did that with him in the Blues Brothers. And, of course, Rip John Belushi. Nice. Hey, <laughs> I am nice. Um, so I already know what your number one is. No, so don't. I'll get my no, yes, don't. I do. I bet you don't. Oh, oh okay. So you, I thought so I had. I don't have that. So you only have one other one, and it's not that one. It's not that one. Holy shit! Okay, so I'll do. I'll do my two, and then I'll, I'll, I'll. Yeah, then you do your one, then I'll say. Well, your number one is the official number one. So you do one, I do one, and then you do the well, one. Well, I got three more. All right, so you do one, I do one, you do the last two. All right, I can just go and then you go. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, let me let me give get you, this give, out. Give me two. Give me two. All right. Um, when it, most of my other moments are not, even though this is a comedy, most of my other moments are the ones where it's it it. It transcends comedy into mm. something else. Like when Neil goes off on Dell in that ho in the motel room the first night. Is that right, tell, is tell, that me about, no, tell me about it. Go ahead, <laughs> please tell me. But he goes off on him, made like, like, like a, you're like a chatty Kathy doll. I expect you to have a string on the front of you. And and he's like, when you're telling these stories, have a point. It makes this so much more interesting for the person that's listening. And But but what really made that scene for me is not what Steve Martin is saying, not Steve Martin's performance, but every time it cuts back to John Candy's facial expressions as he's being just torn down by this one person that he wants to try to make a friendship with. and And then... 
I don't know how John Candy didn't. I, like, I, I firmly believe if he would have lived longer, we would have seen him in hard dramas. Like, oh, yeah. Like Grammy Award winning, Oscar nominating, whatever. Well, um, well, since you spoke to that, I have to speak to it now because that was my, my number one scene of the film. But but you missed the last, but you didn't miss it. You were hitting right on it. Steve Martin was, uh, Ned was just getting started when he did that. But then after he does, he said you should be a, a pool dog, Stewart Street. He does all that. But then he finally says, I could sit in an insurance sales seminar for five days straight, and people are going to be like, they're going to ask me, how'd you do it? And I'm going to say, oh, I know Dale Ripple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, my. Because I've been with Dale, Dale Ripple. Ripple. Like, like, to me, it's just like, damn. And like you say, to your point earlier. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead. I'm an easy target. No, but before you move on, to, 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 to your point earlier to what you said, if you once you see the end of this movie, if you go back and rewatch the movie, it's a whole nother movie now because mm -hmm. now you understand everything that is going on with Dale's character, and it makes you feel like, damn, I've been an asshole this entire time. So, yeah. so yeah, I just that's my number one. So you can go ahead with your other two. That, and that number, could that, you hand me that book over there so it fill out my hand? That was the uh, uh, that that was the moment that like that that moment is is exactly why this movie is so good because the two leads in it are so much more than just comedians they are hilarious comedians but they have this ability to take you to this other place emotionally well why you're also you, like it, they're just great they're 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 just amazing laughing feeling big emotions um and yeah john candy that like i i like me my wife likes me. me like god man hits me he knows who he is um, and then the, the, speaking of those moments, my number two is the, the train when Neil reflects and realizes the truth about Dell. Um, mm -hmm. and then he goes back and he's the way that Dell is sitting there, like a, like a, like, like a stri like a lost on, dog, like nowhere to go. Like, all right, the one, like I have no, nowhere to go, like literally. And he's like, um, you know, why, you know, I don't, I don't, when he says I don't have a home and, um, something very interesting about that scene actually when that was not planned or even shot that that whole moment with steve martin on the train um they used it from uh, deleted scenes from the flash not flashbacks for it was shot for something else and he was memorizing his lines or going over his lines and they saw the face that, he was making and john made an executive decision say i like that we're using that yeah so originally dell was going to get on the train with steve with uh neil and they were just going to ride home together and it was going to be that ending but at the, the last minute they john hughes wanted to give dell this character development where he has decided like all right I'm gonna let him go. I've run my course here. Mm -hmm. So there's like that growth in Dell. And then there's the growth in Neil where he's on the train and he's having these moments, these flashbacks where he. I just. I, I, one, the scene is amazing. It is. Like it, it's one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. But then when you understand the brilliant editing that went into that yeah. and like the creativity to make that scene come to life, knowing that they didn't shoot that scene. They had to go back into footage, not even a, not, I mean, it was from a, the, the but it wasn't scene, meant but for it that was though. just the cameras rolling during that scene. Which Steve the, Martin did not know were rolling. It was all genuine. Or yeah. He's just sitting there. And then, and that, that explains why it cuts to these flashbacks. Like, cause that's, cause they had to cut out moments from that take of Steve Martin where maybe he wasn't, it didn't work. So they, 
they have this moment of him smiling or thinking, and then it cuts to his wife. But they even play with the, the hue on it, so you don't realize that the lighting wasn't right and all this other stuff. They have to hue that. They have to do it that way. So that's I like that. It's very good. Brilliant editing. All right. So my my number one, of course, not, my, not your number one. The whole world's number one. Yeah. The reason why this movie got a fucking R rating in the United States everywhere except New Zealand. Talk to me, David. You're messing with the wrong guy. When he walks in, and I won't do the whole thing, but just it—you it, know that you know shit's it. About, Give it to him. Do you it. know it's about to happen. When he's like, "Look at me. How can I help no, you?" No, I want you to look in that camera, and I want—I know you're not an actor, but if you had an actor reel, you look in that camera, you give it to him. All right. So he walks into this place, and after which, by the way, all of this stuff with uh, Edie McClurg, the where she's on the phone that John Hughes told her just improvise. So she acted like she was on the phone with her sister. Um, and and did that whole thing off the cuff then she comes up she's like how can i oh she's like can i help you yes how can i help you well you could start by ripen that stupid smile off your rosy cheeks then you can get me a automobile a buick a Datsun, a toyota four wheels and a seat sir i really don't appreciate the way you're speaking to me well, I really don't appreciate the way your company left me in the middle of f***ing nowhere with f***ing keys to a f***ing car that isn't f***ing there. And I really didn't appreciate to have to walk across a f***ing runway and down a f***ing highway to get back here to have you smile at my f***ing face. I want a f***ing car right f***ing now. Can I have your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh dear! Oh dear what? You're f***ed. Dirt. And then he goes out to the outside, and you think the scene's over. No, they're not done yet. He goes out, and that guy starts out so happy-go-lucky, like a nice St. Louis Midwesterner. He's like, you know, you can catch a plane. You get there a lot faster. Was that a joke? Neil goes, if I wanted to hear a joke, I'd follow you into John and watch you take a leak. Pop! Pop the, 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 the blank, fall down. John Candy almost smacks him, like... The whole scene is just amazing, all the way up into the the nut. Not crab. to mention, like, hey, help your friend up. You want me to help your friend up? He goes no. for literally a crotch shot. He pulls the <laughs> her up by his crotch. It's fucking <laughs> insane. So yeah, seven so, seven minutes in heaven. Man. I will say this: there, if once at the end of the season, guys, we're going to be ranking all our number ones from all the films, and I'm going to tell you right now, that's already running for the top three best scenes of, of all the films all we've done all time. So guys, on the movies on the list, I'm sorry, you guys are hey, all right, be better. Oh, there you go. Be better. Speaking of being better, guess what this brings us into? All right, let's get right into scene stealers. Uh, is it even a choice this week, man? I don't think it is, but we shall see, because you apparently said you might surprise me. Oh, no, I was talking about with his favorite scenes. Okay. Well, let's get everybody else on the board. Uh, God, I forgot to bring my paper again and see if I could do this. Episode one, Black Panther, we got Okoye. Episode two, we got Tenet. That's Christopher Pattinson. Episode three, we did Coffee Town. Mr. Is it Mike. Christopher Pattinson or Robert Pattinson? Just give me a break. You know who it is. His picture is I'm not there. a Kit Kat bar. I'm not giving you shit. Uh, Robert Pattinson. Thank episode you. three. We're a professional fucking show. Coffee. <laughs> episode three was Living Wake. We get Mike O'Connell. Episode four, we moved on to Rounders, and that was Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Episode five was uh, Paid in Full, which was Woods Harris. Episode- Makai Pfeiffer was unavailable. Episode six was um, you can do it. us. Yes, and that was Lapita. Correct. Episode seven was V for Vendetta. Vendetta, and we get Natalie Portman. Episode eight, Coffee Town, and that's Glenn Howerton. Here we are: planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, 
Do you want to say it at the same time? See if we got the same one? Yeah. All right. Three, three two, two, one. one. Steve John Martin. Andy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. All right, so go ahead. I watch, thank you. All right. Steve Martin. All right. So while the while the natural human nature in me decide, clearly, uh, honorable mention to Jonathan Candy, uh, an iconic legend. I mean, literally, you and Steve Martin are on the same page. And, and I just, I could... Put it this way, I, I chose Steve Martin because I couldn't be unbiased because of the fact that I felt like if I told, chose John, I wasn't giving him credit enough. I felt like I was letting the sympathy card play to me. Now, don't get me wrong. If you rewatch the film four or five times, John Cam Candy's character gets there more and more and more and more. It shows you he's dealing with depression, loss. And as I'm making this argument, I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? But no, seriously, like his character is so there. So for me, like I say, with uh, Jonathan Candy, he's an all-time great. Like I say, if you tell, you're talking about one of my top 20 actors and artists of all time, I mean, literally, and that's saying something because my list is, I'm, I'm in that list. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, like I literally respect him so much. But when we're talking about just this film here, I guess me, I resonated more with Steve Martin because I feel like my life somewhat has followed his path. Like we choose who we resonate with. I've been that person that's been like, Damn, I'm such a nice guy, and I keep getting shit on so much, so much, so much, so much, so much, so much. And even when I've been shit on so much, the nice guy nature in you still appeals. And don't get me wrong, like, not nice to a fault, but to just like, damn, man, like, this guy here is a really good guy. Why is all this shit happening to him? And you even, I've gotten to that point to before where I've broken and just been like, not cry, just laugh. Like, oh, what else could go? You're laughing at everything that's going wrong. I've had to deal with people like no one else in the world could deal with the Dale Ripple. I've had people like that around me, but I have keep, to deal with keep it. keep saying Dale Ripple. Uh, Dale... Dale Griffin. Griffin. I, I, you know I'm saying Ripple? I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you why I'm saying Ripple. I'll tell you that later. Right. And it's not because I've been drinking. But Dale Griffin's character, like I say, again, j like I say, once you know what he's dealing with, you do feel sorry for him. But I also feel sorry for Steve Martin's character because it wasn't like he was previewed to any of this information. It was not like John Candy's character was not f***ing. I mean, ultimately f***ing with Steve. He stole his debit card he's well they didn't have debit cards back then he stole his diners club card he ripped off v5 he, he went he's literally said hey man listen i'm not much of a talker i just want to kind of go to sleep he like you tell me i hate those chatterboxes all they do they talk you up Whew. oh man you like dude at what point does a man reach his breaking point because he never reached his breaking point i have to give it to one steve stephen martin now mind you we also know that we were efforting mr martin and we were this close Yes, guys, exclusive, TTFT exclusive. We were about maybe 24 hours from landing Steve Martin. The the scheduling did not line up. However, that's it doesn't matter. But we started this show, what, a month and a half, two, two months and a half ago. And the fact that we were that close to landing a legend, an icon, a man, the fact that he even considered us and didn't know us from Adam and Eve or Adam, David and Tarian lets us know that we're on the right path. So, like I said, I'm not going to say you're wrong with your choice. How we will be flipping the coin for this one, sir. Okay, I will say you're wrong with your choice because oh. everything I heard you say was nothing about Steve Martin's performance. It was all about Neil Page's character, which that is not on the table here. We're not talking about who, who had the most, uh, un, who had the most relatable character. We're talking about who brought the character to life the best. So, do you still think that he brought it to life? He brought yes. Neil Page to life yes. better than. Del I'm not saying no, no Dale Griffiths. What are you Riffles. doing, David? What are you doing? Oh, oh, I see. Was oh, oh, oh. Well, I, apparently we got a studio. Oh, you got got our first chuckle of the evening. 
Oh, well, do tell. But no, no, I get what you're saying. What I'm saying is, again, when we say scene still, there's people who we felt the best. So it is, okay. like I say, it's, I felt he dealt did the best because of the fact that he did, to me, that was about his performance. His performance was, most normal people would have lost it five minutes dealing with Dale. Yeah. We saw, and it's not his reaction to him. It's the everything else he was having to deal with along with Dale. You have a wife at home. You have this. You have, we Like I say, don't get me wrong. I get where you're coming from. You're not wrong. I will say this. It can go either way for me, but if I had to lean a certain way, I want to lean towards Steve Martin because in my mind, I, I never want Dale to not be alive. I, Dale will always live in my heart. So I guess I'm still making a case for Steve and saying Dale. So I already know who's going to win this one. So you might as well just put him up on the board. Well, per, but before I do that, before I make my, because uh, I still I still have a case that I want to make for John Candy, but I do want to throw out uh, uh, just honorable two, mention? three honorable mentions. Okay. Of course, Steve Mar Steve Martin is an honorable mention because he's he, I I don't doubt what you're saying. He was incredible. I think you do doubt what I'm saying. Uh, Lila Robbins. She is oh, a yes. very small moment in this movie, but so impactful. The best Oscar walk down from a stairs ever done in film. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, Dylan Baker, who, who played I'm Owen, Gus's son. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he goes on to play the lizard in uh, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Uh, yeah, I'm right. I'll let the fact check. You don't have to. Post. You don't have to. Okay, I will. I'm also still going to fact you on V5 because I'm. I really think. Mike, could you Google, Mike? Could you Google V5, please? Google V5 planes, trains, and automobiles. See don't what pulls do that. Up. You're you're at, you're telling him to Google what the answer you want. But because like, it is the answer. What is the what is the parking? What space? is the parking spot in planes, trains, and automobiles? Can we we'll, just yell it out like we're on talk soup? <laughs> All right, uh, so th those are the honorable mentions I have, but I, I give it to John Candy because you could want he he walks the line in this performance perfectly, where you could want to slap him and hug him at the same exact time, and that is no small feat. Um, he's the only person that's been able to pull this off, in my opinion, since like or not since, but other than like Chris Farley is the only other person. Or, that's seen, uh, like, Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis leans further into I just want to slap you. You're making me laugh, but I still want to slap you. I never really feel that bad for you. Like, Out of those three, I can say he's towards. Hold on, Mike. We got anything? Not yet. Keep going, David. Um. So yes, yeah, uh, Steve Martin actually said in an interview that John Candy. B five. What was it, Mike? Can hear B5. you. B five. Okay, can hear you, Mike. B five. For the mics in the back. Valentine five. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there we. Going. Okay. All, all, right. Right. all right, all right, all right. Oh, fact check, buddy. Um, can you put my headset back on now? Read your facts. No, no, I want to soak up this moment. Right, <laughs> man, dude. What? Steve Martin actually said in the interview that John Candy had a lot of uh, similarities to Dell. Uh, very sweet and complicated always friendly funny and outgoing but he could tell he had kind of a little broken heart inside of him and when you when oh that you, was about john candy not the character no but here's what i'm saying when john john candy is so good of an actor that he's willing to take a vulnerability like that and display it on the screen for the sake of bringing a character to life that to me earns him the right on the board as the scene stealer well ladies and gentlemen for the first time in a long time I won't say I've been proven wrong, but he has convinced me that his argument holds water more than mine does. So, Mr. Jonathan Diametrius Candy, walking to the board. No, that's not the middle name. It just sounds so Diametrius. <laughs> John, John Diametrius Candy. John Sugar Free Candy. The original dog from Spaceballs. <laughs> 
so thank you. You got your V5. I got my John Candy. You did. So we all win. Let's, uh, that, that is our scene stealers. Let us know in the comments who your favorite person was in playing trains and automobiles. Do you agree with Steve Martin? Do you agree with John Candy? Did you also think that it was J5 and not V5? Throw all that the, in the, the comments. Re- I'll, 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 one more time just for me to just tote, uh, toot my own horn. You were thinking about the movie Short Circuit. Sorry, David. Uh, probably, probably. Johnny Five, J Five, J Five, no B Five. Royal, look, I love all alphabets. Whether yellow, black, or white, letters are precious in my sight. T loves all the little movies of the world. <laughs> Three coins in a fountain, each one seeking ha- seeking happiness. And guys, you know what's coming up next? Listen, so, don't let the girls tell your side doesn't matter. Chicks dig the long ball. You're gonna need a bigger boat. All right, this movie has so many good lines in it. So many. What were um, we, we doing the movie below? Oh, you mean like actual like yeah. script? Okay, I'm sorry. Woo, I'll sit. Sponsored by Coke. Yep. Um, I'm a drug. So my first one, Dell wakes up. Like just the way he wakes up and he's all right when they're on the plane. He opens his eyes. He goes, six bucks in my right nut says we're not landing in Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> I got that down. That was one of my fucking shit. Yeah. Yes, man. I, I definitely have that. Okay, let me go. Let me let me see if I can match you on that one. Uh, best quotes. Oh yeah. Oh okay. 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 Hey, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I had no idea those beers were gonna blow like that. <laughs> you left them on a vibrating bed. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> Again, that goes back to there was there's probably a scene out there somewhere we actually get to see. See that the little, little, yeah, they cut it. I know they cut it down. They shouldn't have cut that. God, shelf us off. Um, in that in that same motel uh, where Dell kind of fires back, it's at uh, Neil before he loses on. He's like, nice personality combination, hostile and intolerant. That's borderline criminal. Like I'm like, is he just, is he talking about Republicans? Um, or liberals? Either way, either way. Uh, scene when they fall asleep that night. When I'm sorry, when they wake up the next morning. Dell, why'd you kiss my ear? Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? It's in between the pillows. Oh, shit. Oh, like, that's like, like, look here. Like, look here. Let me tell you something. Me and my homeboys, my friends, my, even me and my enemies all agree on something. If we go to a hotel room and it's one bed, I'm on the fucking floor. That way there's no fucking debate. You can have it. It's yours. I'm on the, there's no head to toe, no toe to head. Jason Granger taking note. Jesus Christ, dude. You had a fucking worry. But, yeah. And he took your your bed on the floor after you made it. Which really fucked me up. Like, this and is a he, true story, guys. And he laid down there like the homeless guy in Coffee Town. Just got all his shit in there. Stomach first. Right, wasn't he? Was, did he rub on his belly button while talking to his wife? <laughs> he did that a lot. Uh, yeah, a see, lot I thought I was fucking crazy. He's <laughs> crazy, dude. Um, yeah, Hollywood. So, yeah, sorry for that 30 seconds about some dude that nobody knows anything about except you for You will us. now. Uh, YouTube, Jason Granger. Putting you on blast, JG. JDG comedy. It ain't funny. <laughs> Not no more. Um, so, of course, in there, I will say it again. You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile. That whole that that whole thing is is beautiful. Um, but uh, I like when Dell says when when Neil asks Dell, he's like, you know, what do I do that bothers you? Oh, really? What do I do that bothers you? He's like, he had to think about. It. He's like, you play with your balls a lot, and uh, he says. When Steve Martin goes, I do not play with my balls, and uh, and then he goes, uh, you know, and Neil goes, you know what would make me happy? 
Dough goes another pair of balls and an extra set of hands. <laughs> there you go. And not to mention, you keep forgetting the. I told you I'll never make another sports reference. You play with your balls more than Larry Bird. You're, you're a white guy that, that plays part, with your balls that part more than Larry Bird. Right, right over my head. Ah, uh, that's like what she said. Like a bird. All right. Now, the, this is one of the best worst lines in the film, and you really feel bad for Dale Trip Ripple when he hears this. Steve Martin looks at this motherfucker. They are an hour and fifteen minutes in the movie. He looks at him and says, "Hey, man." There's the beat right there. That's the beat. Do a crawl in on this in post real quick. Okay. Damn it. Let's give me extra work. I'll pay you for this. <clears throat> hey, man. I really feel when we put our heads together, we get nowhere. So I think it'll be best if we... Uh, he really thought he was finna say... Because John Candy jumped up when he heard him say, like, finally, I've gotten through to him. We're great. We're a mm -hmm. team. No. Uh-uh. It's highway time, pal. Hey, yeah. highway time, pal. <laughs> Rounders, highway time, pal. Yeah. That shit hurts, man. That's really fucked up. Hey, Nate, mm. we've been working good together. You know, I can really see us living our own lives now to like really like set Hollywood on fire. Like, it's fucking crazy, dude. Mm, I'll see you around. Yeah, sure you will. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, hold on. That was it. Hold on. I think yeah. we have one last one. Uh, One second here. Dale, why'd you kiss me? I had no deal. Uh, six Nets in Chicago. Uh, First cast assignment. Oh, no. All right. We already did them. Uh, yep. We already did them. And those are seven minutes in. Heaven. I made him say heaven. He doesn't believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys moving on to a very special segment that we like to call cast crew or you if you're not familiar with our program what we do with each film which makes us different than every single other show out there we teach you about film we talk about film as passionate people we are filmmakers and unlike every other show that doesn't have a budget of a hundred thousand dollars in corporate sponsors that make you say whatever the f they want you to say we bring on guests and these guests love us you know why because we have work ethic and david why don't you tell us about the two guests we have coming on today that have work ethic first up we're going to be talking to andrew hence who played the guy on the bus to tell steve martin to take a picture of last longer and literally got paid to make out with his girlfriend for eight hours and i believe he got paid 8k <laughs> and that yeah oh yeah. Oh, yeah and then we got uh lila robbins who played steve martin's wife in the film um before we get into those interviews let's get uh let's tidy up before we bring on the uh the stars let's do that all right movie magic love watch this three two our first guest is Andrew Hentz. Uh, fans of plane, trains, and automobiles know him as the camel smoking bus passenger that catches Steve Martin watching him heavily make out with a girl and says, why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. An absolutely iconic moment in the classic film. So let's dive right into the questions. Hey, so question. I have to know, this was the only time, of course, that you starred in a film. Is this correct? Well, I, I, I've done a lot of stunt double work, but as far as, um, uh, as my face being on the camera and being a recognizable individual in the film, yeah, that's, this is my, my first time. All right. Let me ask you a question here. So, of course, you can audition for parts and things of that nature. And sometimes you just read for a role. You don't know what is going to happen. How did you other than your agent? How did you end up with that specific role as being the guy? That, I mean, you had the luckiest. You're the luckiest guy in the film. You get to make out, smoke cigarettes, do it again, back to one. I mean, how did, how did you end up in that role? Well, I there was a casting. I, I lived in I, I just gotten out of the Navy. And uh, I was living in Woodstock, Illinois, which coincidentally is where a large portion of that movie was filmed. Um, and they had a casting call, which I went to with my girlfriend, who is the lady that I'm kissing in the in the movie. 
and uh, they looked at us uh, and they said, wow, they said, we, we think we've got a part for you right now. You guys just seem to click really well together. And, you know, so I said, oh, that'd be great. Okay, you know, that's pretty easy. <laughs> and uh, we ended up going to a, a little town called Bradenton, Illinois. It's a, it's a kind of a, it's, this, it's the scene where he, they're in the motel and uh, he, he ends up, uh, putting his hands between um between the pillows yes the pillows right (laughs) and uh that that was the motel that was in Bradenton and we met there and uh unfortunately uh uh, they didn't film that day oh I should say prior to getting this role John cast a nephew of his and a, a pretty girl whose name I can't remember and he didn't work out for the part. He got a little arrogant and started acting like, you know, a movie star. And so he canned him and they called yep. us. Um, and uh, so we, so we hung around Bradenton for about a, well, a day and they didn't film our scene. It, it took three days of waiting and, 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 you know, I, I wasn't really, I, I hadn't done a lot of film work at that point and not, it's the degree that I was doing it at this at this point, and I wasn't used to being put on hold. We were we were put on hold, and eventually we ended up um, going up to the. I don't know if you recall. There's a there's a, a scene where well, it's in the motel again, and and that's where they they started the filming of our scene, and um, it was three days after we we waited around three days and we spent a day filming basically, and. Um, the person who originally had the lines, why don't you take a picture to last longer, was Karen, my, my ex-girlfriend. And uh, unfortunately, she, she lacked a, a very seductive voice, which was what John was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's kind of a high-pitched, uh, uh, melodic voice. And, and so he says, well, let's hear you say it, Andrew. And he liked what he saw, so he went with me. Um, and that's how I ended up with lines. I, I, I was trying to get Karen introduced to the modeling world at that point and acting. She was a beautiful woman, but she didn't seem to be very well acclimated to it. I was, I was kind of, a, it was kind of a futile endeavor, so to speak. And I ended up being the, the star. And, and in spite of promoting her, I ended up being the guy that was, that was doing the line. I was just going to say that you took her there you, for the audition for, for, for her modeling career. And because uh, John's nephew was acting like an ass. He got canned, and because of that, she was still supposed to get this line. Was meant for you, man. It went through like five people before it got to you. Some things are just meant to be, man. Yeah, I, 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 I just I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was very lucky, no doubt about that. I, I like to say it had to do all with acting skills. But I was in the right <laughs> place at the right time, and. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, but you, uh, you, you did have a like. I, I saw that movie the first time as a kid, and. That as short as that scene is, it stood out to me, and especially that line, mm-hmm. and the way it's delivered. It's so like, it's so like quintessential eighties. Right. Everything about they it. They use it on and, those mashups when you're showing stuff like films from the eighties. Your line shows up all the time. Like I felt like you could have been like John Bender's uh, brother or cousin from The Breakfast Club or something like that. Well, it it's right interesting that you say that because. When I went to the, when I went to, I, we had our, our first, uh, like I said, our first deal was in, was in Woodstock. And then we went down to, we went to another casting call. Basically they were refining their decision. 
um, down to the studio. I think Oprah Winfrey owns it now, but she didn't at the time. And um, they told me to, to dress for the part when I went for the second edition. And I dressed like John Bender. I wore a, a, a ankle length uh, a Harris tweed jacket and you know, the whole nine yards. I, I, I looked like John Bender, a blonde one. So yeah, it's, it's, he was kind of the guy I was looking to pattern myself after. And I, I evidently I succeeded because it, it, that's a good deal. Absolutely <laughs> see it for sure. Um, and I know that John Hughes is, he's like notorious for shooting way more footage than, I wouldn't say way more footage than necessary because who am I to say that his work came out amazing, but he shot an abundance of footage. Um, so I was just curious with, with your scene, how long did that take to shoot? Like how long were you riding around in a bus with, an with eight, eight hour day. So Steve Martin's watching you make out. <laughs> That's Yep. Like there are people out, you realize there are people out there today that would probably pay Steve Martin to have him watch to hit that make out with their girlfriend. <laughs> that's, that's, that's uh, good on you, man. Well, they both, you know, the thing that brings up another interesting point, both Steve Martin and John Candy stayed in role, whether they were on the camera or off the camera. So I, I, I got kind of the impression that Steve was a uh, kind of a prick and he isn't, he's a very nice guy. Um, but, but John had the, had the luxury of basically playing himself. He's just a big roly poly friendly outgoing guy. And, and I, after our role, I stopped at his trailer and I wanted, I wanted to say thanks. And it was fun working with him. He says, Oh, well, that's great kids. And, you know, I enjoyed working with you too. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm so sad that he passed away cause he was such a, such a sweet man. I guess he, his, his wife related, uh, that he had had been filming someplace and he was late for his shot because he was talking to a kid next door at a bar who was interested in acting and he couldn't tear himself away. So that, wow. that's the kind of guy he was. And, and uh, I think Hollywood needs more folks like him that are just down to earth, sweet, kind people. Like you said, uh, uh, I like me. My wife likes me. Yeah. People like me. I'm, yeah, right, I'm the right. real deal. Right, a genuine article, 100%. Let me ask you a question. A lot of times uh, those lines, those classic lines, they're written, sometimes they're improvised. Was that always the line, or were there any lines they tried out before that? No, it, it wasn't always the line. There were several that he tried, and that's the one that he wanted to go with. I was going to suggest, why don't you take a picture you can play with it later in the back of the bus, but I think that might be, <laughs> might be a little bit too obtuse, so I kind of refrained um <laughs> but john john was just a, a swell guy i mean we sat in bullshit for hours on the train we talked about the breakfast club at length and he he uh, uh went over the personalities off screen of each of the actors that were in the the uh breakfast club and and what their deal was you know and and you know who was a money grubber and who wasn't and and uh uh, you know, who was in it for the fun of acting and who was in it to make money. And, and that was, that was really enlightening. And, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, it was interesting that I landed the part in the movie because I'd done a report in school on the breakfast club and how it was kind of like a microcosm of, of teen life in America. Each one of the characters kind of epitomized a certain, you know, character trait each one of us run, runs into in high school. And that he had to he had to be a man who remembered what it was like to be a kid, to yeah. to so effectively present the story as he did, 
And I had a lot of respect for him because my father was a man that always said to me, Andrew, I want you to understand, I haven't forgotten what it's like to be a kid. And I always, that was something that I recognized a lot of my other friends wasn't the case, that their parents didn't remember what it was like to be a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that really turned me on about John is that he and my father had similar sentiments. And you know, I love my father to death. He was a great man. Anyway, I'm, I'm babbling. <laughs> no, no. Totally That's good fine. stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, if you don't mind us asking, what 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 does the paycheck look like for some for that role? Like riding around for eight, well, really, you're on hold for three days, riding around for eight hours, essentially doing what you would probably be doing anyway. Um, making out with your girlfriend, having a cigarette, <laughs> with the exception yeah, of not exactly. talking talking <laughs> to Steve Martin. Um, like, do you mind us asking that? Like, what? What? No, that... no, not at all. All, all told, it. I mean, with the residuals, which I still get now and then, they're they're like twenty dollars checks now. They're not that big anymore, but I still get residual about thirteen thousand dollars all told. That's not bad. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's uh, yeah. That's that's pretty solid. That's um. Well, we, we read that the, the guy that plays the uh, truck driver, uh, the shy truck driver that makes them ride in the back, I think that's the guy that they're referring to because he's the only truck driver that really makes an appearance that he he, he was yeah. in a similar situation where he had like... He, it was like eight days or something like that. Yeah, for that one shoot because they were waiting for the snow to come and he ended up being able to put a down payment on a house off of not even having a line. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's just crazy. Yeah, well, crazy. I, I've come to find that Paramount really treated us well. Um, and I don't know whether, I, I imagine John probably had a lot of say in that. Um, mm. But, you know, he, he was, and that's, I'm so sad. He's, I, it's such a shame that man's no longer with us because mm. I think he was the epitome of what, what a Hollywood director should be. Well, he wasn't really a Hollywood director. He was a Chicago director, but, um, you know, he, he was kind, he was engaging. He was interested in the people that he had working for him. Um, and that's, I, I come to discover a fairly rare occurrence with, with directors. Um, and uh, I, I appreciated it to no end. And the thing that's sad is I moved from Woodstock into Chicago and John retired and he moved out to a little town called Harvard, Illinois, which is about 10 miles north of Woodstock. And it's a little farm town, a tiny little farm town with like population 500 and, um, you know, cornfields for as far as I can see. And I can never really understand why a guy from the North Shore of Chicago moved out to Harvard, Illinois, but he must have liked the, the, the quiet, I'm, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd always wanted to write him a letter and I never did. And then he died. And I, I just like, I was kicking myself in the butt for not taking the bull by the horns. And I figured, well, he's probably getting millions of letters. But you know, now that I reflect on it, I think that he would have probably written me back. Like if you were to send a letter, what, what would you have said in a nutshell? I really, you know, after having worked in the film world for, you know, a few years after having worked for him, that I recognized what what a valuable asset he is to the, to the acting community. Um, and that, oh, that's, that brings up another thing. When I was in Chicago doing my second casting call, um, I, I was trying to stress to Karen, I said, I sense that these guys are not looking for Hollywood actor types. I think they're looking for regular people. So don't go into you're a model and you've been to this school and that school and I just say, 
you know, I'm a fashion merchandiser for where, where I can't remember where she worked, but she was a, she was a fashion merchandiser. Well, of course she doesn't do that. They came to me and they said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm a, a advertising manager for a publishing company. And Michael Chinnick was a guy that was doing the second casting conference. Oh, really? He says, that's what John and I used to do. And, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> he says, yeah, we used to write ad copy and put ads together. And I said, yep, that's, that's what I do too. So he talked to me for about 10 minutes and he just kind of bopped over everyone else and said, I went to the school for the performing arts and la di da di da di da which is pretty neat. Um, that, that was something that's always kind of stuck with me. And I, I recognize the importance of, at least with these guys, of being upfront with who you really are and what you really do and not trying to blow a lot of smoke up their asses. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been recognized for your part in the film? Are you walking down the street? I mean, I know it's been since 87, but still, like, do, were you recognized when it first came out and since then? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I have been. Um, and and the, the one that really got me was I was auditioning for uh, a movie that was being produced by some... Uh, uh, Native Americans in uh, Rapid City, and I don't think that it ever came to be, but I had the addition with uh, a Hollywood movie star, and he, I walked in, and he says, hey, you're the, you're the guy, you're the bus lover, aren't you? And I, I said, oh, yeah. That's... <laughs> and, and that was pretty neat, because I didn't, I had long hair, and I didn't, I didn't look like I did in that movie, like a young Republican, so, um, yeah, uh, uh, that that was pretty shocking um and i uh, i would say probably maybe maybe two other times when somebody's actually pointed at me and said hey are you you know um but the rest of the time i'm pretty much uh facing the crowd shall we say you have such a compelling story i'm just interested to know where it goes from here for you what do, what do you like where where is your passion at today? What do you what do, where do you hope to see yourself in the future? Just I would I would really, especially since I, my last bicycle accident, I was in a coma for a week. I was in the hospital for three months. Um, I, I was really busted up, and I've got congenital arthritis and our uh, uh, family passed down arthritis in my knees. I've got to get them replaced, which I'm going to do here fairly soon. As soon as I do, I would really enjoy acting again. Well, I'll say this. You got two fans right here, man. So listen, we I think the, the children of the 80s deserve to see you again so we can see how it's truly done. As you mentioned with John Candy, of course, being Hollywood needs more nice guys. And you seem to definitely be one of them, Andrew. So if you get back on screen, please. let. Well, actually, you'll be back on screen uh, next Thursday or this Thursday. Thursday. You'll be this Thursday. You'll be on screen next with Thursday. us next Thursday. You'll be on screen with us. But uh, listen, it has been more than a pleasure. I look forward to following your journey, man. Whether it's kayaking, back to stunt work, bicycling, you're you're an interesting guy, man, and I definitely appreciate you taking out the time for us. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. It's greatly appreciated. So, our guest today is a multi-award nominee and multi-platform actress, successfully traversing over three decades on Broadway, off Broadway, on TV and film in so many memorable roles. Fans of planes, trains, and automobiles know her as Susan Page, Neil's wife, in one of the most emotionally powerful endings in a comedy known to man. Thank you very, very much uh, to the very busy Lila Robbins for joining us today. Ms. Robbins. Let's let's go. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Let's go to 1987. I'm a young 
young man, young child falling in love with acting, sitting in front of the TV, realizing this is what I want and will do with the rest of my life. And one of those films that did it for me was, of course, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So let's talk a moment about that. And let me first ask, I know when the last time we've seen it. When's the last time you've actually watched it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I went to the premiere in 1987. And I think I saw it maybe once between then and now. And I think I saw it last year because I was like, you know what? A lot of people talk about this movie. <laughs> maybe I should see it again. <laughs> I and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so charming. And I thought it really held up. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a classic, oh. right? It's just never going to oh, go yeah. away. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I, I read that it was that Roger Ebert watched it every Thanksgiving. That was the film that he watched like mm. traditionally. Oh, um, it really draws. Yeah. It pulls at your heartstrings. It's really very, oh, yes. very special. Yes. They had already been shooting for a long time. I, I was like the last thing they shot. And so mm. they got back to L.A. They've been in Chicago and different places shooting snow, you know. And then we did a bunch of my scenes on the phone and I had these kids and, oh, actually the first time I went out there, uh, they had built this house for the interiors. And I think John Hughes said, I don't, I don't like this house. And they sent me back to New York for a week. And then I came back and then we shot it. And of course, when I went to the premiere, I was devastated because most of me was on the cutting room floor. Oh. And uh, but you know, given a choice between John Candy and Steve Martin and Lila Robbins, who are you going to cut? Well, I heard that plenty of John Candy and Steve Martin were cut as well. I think the original cut was over four hours, four and a half hours. Oh, not like a hundred and forty-two oh. page script. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's funny yeah. you mentioned the house because I, I read that the the house in the film was a set built from scratch. It took five months to complete. It cost over uh, one hundred grand. <laughs> It caught, oh. And it kind of caused turmoil on the set with anger yes. Paramount executives. Um, did you have, did you, were you privy to any of this, uh, like, during uh, production? I knew that they were weeks over as far as how long it was taking to shoot the film. And, I, and I'd heard that they were a lot of money over. In fact, to the point where I thought, well, maybe they're not even going to shoot me because they don't have any more money um, or time. Um, so I, that's all I'd kind of heard. And then the whole thing about getting there and then him, and then John Hughes saying, I don't, I don't like how this interior looks and going, oh my God, are they going to really rebuild the whole thing? Um, and I don't know to what extent they did or just did a little redecorating, some new curtains or something. I don't know. But, uh, but it all was changed. And, um, you know, that was my first Hollywood movie. So I, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of apparent that a lot of scenes with you are not in the final film because it's almost like you can catch glimpses of them when um when they're when uh steve martin is like reminiscing or things like that it's like wow did they really it seemed like without that like one particular example i have is when he's thinking about uh thanksgiving dinner and it shows him sitting down with you it's like that feels like that was a longer scene and it wasn't time for it so they just repurposed it for this one quick moment um and then like when you're coming down the stairs at the end, it felt like there was something that happened in between the moment that like, or that that was, it just, it felt like it was repurposed in a certain way. It's still an amazing movie and, and hats off to the editors and John Hughes for the decisions made in post because 
taking three hours and 40 over four hours down cutting to, it down to that around 90 minutes and having that well yeah. the story is just amazing but was there a lot of um like could you speak on that like was there like a particular scene that that you really enjoyed shooting that wasn't in the final cut it might have been a scene with my mother or something talking about worrying about you know where's my husband why isn't he coming home there was you know i don't there was another phone call uh, but that didn't work out so well because the game of the lines the night before it was this huge phone call and I'm not a quick study so that didn't that didn't go so well <laughs> so I think maybe they got that um, I mean I loved I mean finally working with John Candy and Steve Martin that was a great I think we only worked like two days on that whole Thanksgiving and coming down the stairs thing and that was so fun because they were both so adorable and funny and sweet and um, and uh, yeah, a lot of people respond to that the moment when I come down the stairs. It's funny, you know. I was going to ask, how does it feel? Like you, you're, you're on these shows and we all can hope as artists to all be a part of something that's timeless. I like, like you mentioned, it's a classic and people are going to put this in space capsules and send it off to space 100 years from now. How does it feel to be a part of such an iconic film or iconic project that people will know you? It's people who know, they know you, Lila, all over the world. But just from walking down, out of all the stuff you've done, they know you as a woman that walked down the stairs. Neil's wife. Well, it's interesting because I haven't been, uh, I haven't been that aware of that phenomenon, actually. I, I, I think for years, you know, people would, would say, oh, planes, trains, and automobiles. But in my mind at that time in my career, I was like, oh, I want them to remember other things, too. You know, I've been doing some other work since then, you know. But now it's really fun to hear that so many people respond to it. I don't know. Um, it's weird, all of that, or that people, you know, since Homeland, more people are recognizing me on the street and people recognize me sometimes in New York subway from Law and Order. I've done mm -hmm. a lot of Law and Order episodes, so they'll kind of look at me, but New Yorkers are cool. They don't they'll come up to you and start screaming. They just kind of point at you and go, and then you <laughs> I know you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so to be uh, more uh, uh, recognized, I guess, is, um, it's nice, but I also can understand that if it gets to a whole other level, that it can really be very difficult. I mean, people like, you know, whatever, Jennifer Aniston goes out and she can't walk down the street without somebody, you know, accosting her. I'm kind of in that great sort of middle level where people will recognize me, but they won't know my name or, um, oh, my favorite, my favorite thing is when people come up to you and they say, oh, you are on this and you're like, Oh no, actually I wasn't in that film. Oh no, you were, you were in that movie. And I'm like, uh, actually I wasn't. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> they know you better than you. They know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, we have uh, two Johns to remember today. I wanna to talk first about uh, Mr. Hughes. Uh, he is such a, uh, he had such a, such a signature style that was, I mean, he, he pretty much, as far as I'm concerned, he wrote the eighties for me. Um, can you speak on his process from working with him and if there's any memory that you have? At the end of the whole shoot, I sort of asked him, you know, you know, I hope I did a good job for you. And uh, what would you have done differently, you know, if we'd had more time? And he said, well, maybe we would have rehearsed more or something. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, my time with him was very, very short. I was there maybe a week at total. And, um, and I wasn't that uh, savvy in uh, 
really even paying attention to someone's process because I hadn't had that much experience. So I had nothing to compare it to, you know what I mean? Right, well, I guess that, that leads us to our next one. Of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, of course, you also work with Mr. John Candy as well. And he was like everyone's favorite uncle, no pun intended, Uncle Buck, through the 80s and 90s. Of course, a, a comedy treasure. Um, d d during the short time that you were there, what was it like to kind of work with him? And do you have any favorite memories or times with him the short time you spent with him? Oh, he was just exactly how he is in the film. He's just a sweetheart. And I think he uh, said he lived in Toronto. He had a Canadian accent. He was from Toronto and he, he'd go to church every Sunday with his family. And he just seemed like a regular, uh, you know, a regular family man, uh, sweet. And um, yeah. Okay, now question, was the ending of the film shot last or when did that scene wrap in production? Like wh what part, what was the flow on that? I think that Thanksgiving scene was the last scene we shot. Talk about a martini so. shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so, yeah. We had all this food at the table, and I think we were at that table for a couple days. So I think those were the last. Yeah. I wish there had been a martini after that. but. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on from planes, trains, and automobiles, was there any other uh, memories or, from set or anything that you'd like to share? Uh, no, I just kept thinking, oh, gosh, and I'm in this fabulous movie with these guys, and I wish I had more stuff with them, you know, because that would have been fun. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much, Lila, for taking the time to talk to us today. It has been enlightening and a pleasure. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my God, I had so much fun. And, you know, I think you're onto something, um, uh, you, you two of the exotic names, Torian and Durden. You know, when you wrote to me, I mean, I don't know why I said yes, Durden. But there was something about your name that was like, what this? What is this? Durden? She wouldn't have responded to David, but Durden got through. <laughs> <laughs> but David is the beloved one. Well, thank you very much for responding. And yeah, I, I, I hear you. I don't know how why people are responding to me when they do either. I'm just as flabbergasted. So thank you very much for responding, and I hope you have a happy holidays and safe. Thanks you too, and I really wish you both the best in your work and and and, and in finding work and 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 finding, you know, uh, where it gets sort of special and wonderful and you know you're living up to your 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 potential. That that that's fun to kind of go, oh yeah, I think I almost I almost lived up to my potential on that one. You know, that was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. You have a safe holidays. You will be seeing yourself Thank on you. the screen very soon. And we think we'll make you look good. As a matter of fact, you've already made us look good. So thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And that brings us to Room for Improvement, sponsored by Rooms to Go, not yet unofficially, but officially. When I think about this dirt and when you talk about a classic you got to be careful when you speak to people about things you want to improve because it comes off as oh what do you guys know if you're as talented you would like man f you guys all right you haven't done half the shit we've done so with that being said we don't care about your opinion but we do care about you subscribing so all that jazz um only thing that i would improve is this knowing for a 100 percent fact that there's a four and a half hour version of this film a three and a half hour version of this film and like a two and a half hour version of this film we both know that while things do wind up on the cutting room floor there's such so much stuff that got left that we've made enough films and watched enough films that we both agree on this is that there are things that are missing 
such that that don't connect the story but the film is still so good it surprises it surpasses all that like like mm-hmm. when when lila comes down the stairs at the end she is in full like i say oscar mode crying nothing dictates that before this because clearly you see her waiting for her husband to come home but it's always playful joyful she's never angry she seems somewhat concerned in the film mm-hmm. but towards the end she's in full-fledged tears like she like she thought he she lost him in the war yeah. so if to me i wouldn't say that particular scene but just overall you got to be careful, no matter how great of a director or writer or editor you are, when you take four and a half hours of footage and cut it down to an hour and a half, something's going to be lost. And to me, that's the only thing that would change. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. Um, the one thing that I wanted to change is, or that I, that I wish was left out, really, is uh, some of the jokes didn't really age well. Um, and the sad thing is, is that they were kind of low-hanging fruit, even at the time. And I thought I think that John Hughes is better than these moments, and the movie would have been plenty funny without them. I'm talking about like jokes that kind of lean into like intolerance or stereotypes, like like the gay bit in the bed when they're both so grossed out that they woke up next to each other like that. Like it, it, it's played so like over the top. It was just kind of out of place for me. And it didn't, I know that is like blasphemy to say because like the where's your other hand in between two, but those aren't pillows. Like I know that that's like a classic moment, but I don't know. I just, I feel like, like oh, jumping out of the bed, like, oh, 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 oh. But, like it, but you have to remember what time, what kind of world they were living in back then. They, we didn't have I, LGBTQ. I, we didn't have, I, mean, I would argue them. that we, it was what kind of world Hollywood was creating. These like, mm. these, this is how guys act. This is how girls act. Like, I, I don't know. I, but even in TV, how long did it take on TV before they showed a man and a woman going to bed together? It was like late 70s, early 80s before that happened. So again, Well, I still, guess what I'm saying is then I, I I expect innovation from John Hughes. Okay. So I would expect okay. him to be the trendsetter yeah. that breaks that kind of trend where That's like, fair. no, God, like, dudes don't have to be grossed out by like that. Like, oh, I, you're not gay. You wouldn't, not be gross, gay. you wouldn't be grossed out if you woke, or you woke up with a hand in between your ass cheeks? I'm just asking. Um, I would be, I would be weirded out. Uh, it would be awkward, but it wouldn't be like this exaggerated, like, how's that Bears game? Man, man stuff. Like, yeah, I feel you. Oh, yeah, it's a little over the top. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, <clears throat> like, like the fat jokes, like the oversized underwear in the bathroom, like. I don't think those were oversized. I think those are perfectly fitting underwear. I just said, I think it could have done, it could have, it would have been, it would have served the movie better without those moments Mm -hmm. uh, because I think the emotion of it would have hit harder if it was, it was like these few little one-off moments where the movie didn't take itself as serious as the, as the plot and everything in the happening in the movie is asking the audience to take it. Mm -hmm. So that would be my one room for improvement. Um, so what do you think? What do you leave, let us know in the comments what what you would have changed about planes, trains, and automobiles? I was and, thinking about uh, something as well too. You know how they did planes, trains, and automobiles. Like, what are my if we? I, I guess is if we would have thought about what was our favorite plane, train, and then automobile movie. I thought about that where you're going. Mine. I went Passenger Fifty Seven. I went Money Train, and then I went for the Driver movie. I think I went. Uh, it wasn't Heat. What did I say? Uh, uh, uh oh yeah. Uh. Night Rider, but the one that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> the, the, the Night Rider. How about Please. Speed? A speed. Oh, Speed. There we go. But that's a bus, though. I want, Pop that's automobile. Yeah. Hot shot. So that is it. There is. There would be uh, Passenger Fifty Seven, mm-hmm. Money Train, Speed. Yeah. There you go. I like that. Fuck you. 
All right, that is rooms for rooms for improvement. Let's get right on to given. So we give each film uh, one, two, three, fucks, so up to five. Fucks. And the five is the, the what? The golden god of. Yeah, that is. We seriously fucks with this movie. So, how many fucks you give this one? I think you know where I'm going with this. I, I, this, this gets the golden god treatment for me. Wait, wait, wait. Before, okay, so you give it five. How much do you give due date? Four. What were we even talking about? <laughs> we're talking about if you're going to, re first off, they didn't call it a sequel. They didn't directly say it was affiliated with it. And if the best you can do is that film with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis, with those, how much respect I have from them, that's the best that it could have been. No one could have ever done that. No one will ever match what it was. That's the close anyone could have came. That's why that's, I mentioned it. That's fair. Okay. Um, I give it four and a half. Uh, it is nearly perfect. I can't give it five because there's just some there's some continuity shit that kind of takes me out of the element because of all of the chopping that went to happen in post to get it down. Um, but the the before the performances, the comedy aspect of it, the um, I mean it's a pretty straightforward story, so there's not much there. But just John Candy and Steve Martin together, bouncing off of each other in that perfect. And that's why I got the Golden God treatment. Not at first, I had it at four given one half under you. But then when I read last night, as I was doing a deep dive outside of the behind the camera, when I read the comments you made earlier that Steve Martin and John Candy said it was their both favorite films working together, like like to me it was like okay. Yeah, because it, it brings across that point. This wasn't a money grab. Like when we talked to Andrew uh, earlier in the episode, mm -hmm. he was saying that who was there for a money grab? Who was there for this? Not just on this, but on Breakfast Club. It's the same thing to me. I'm an actor that, no, don't get me wrong, my bills got to be paid. But listen, it's all about passion. So it's, what I, it's my craft, man. So to me, that's why I gave it that. But I can see why you, like, because you're coming at it from, again, remember, you're coming at it from a f fan and a filmmaker's perspective. Just the common fan does not notice those cuts. The common fan has given this five f***s for 50 f years mm -hmm. i gave it four but because of the research i did it was more so of okay i am no i'm being biased but it gets the golden god treatment but i res completely respect what you're saying all right so what did you think about the movie how many would you give it put those middle fingers in the comments and let us know and with that being said let's get right on to coming attractions uh the next next week it is the movie that you've been excited about all year uh, it's in my top five movies of all time. And unbelievably, as big of a Quentin Tarantino fan as I am, it is a movie that I have not seen somehow. So. But don't worry, because we both have Quentin Tarantino films that we haven't seen. You've been asking me for years to watch Reservoir Dogs, which I have not seen. Um, so truly, I can't understand Pulp Fiction all the way until I watch Reservoir Dogs. Um, but one of the films I've been asking you to see for years, which you've never seen, of course, is Jackie Brown starring Pam Greer, Michael Keaton, uh, Chris Tucker. Uh, keep going on and on and on and on and on. I mean, I'm there. Samuel Jackson, uh, Robert De Niro, Bobby De Niro, whoever you want to call it. So and you guys heard about Bobby De Niro earlier when we were talking with Lila. But with that being said. The film we're going to do next week, Jackie Brown, I want, I want you guys to know this. I can almost recite the entire movie without looking at it, but I'm telling you this. I'm going to watch it again like I've never seen it before because to me, this is on my Mount Rushmore films. This is up there with Coming to America. This this is one of the things I've seen a billion times and each time I find something new and I'm watching it, and especially with Tarantino, you get to watch the movie from different characters' perspective each time. And it's just mm -hmm. like, man, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I wish I was you in this moment because I know 
that I, I'm you. You're never supposed to hype up a, a film for a person because they're expecting everything, and if it doesn't live up to that, then they're gonna not be happy. And I'm telling you this now: we would not be friends if he does not like this movie. So you guys are watching this exclusive. If he watches this movie, the show ends after Jackie Brown. If he does not like Jackie Brown, oh man, pressure. All right, yeah. So that is uh, that is next week. Be sure to check out Jackie Brown. Um, have a uh, have a safe and happy holidays with your family while you're while you're hanging with your family be sure to let them know about our show pull it up on their get, say hey let me hold your phone take their phone pull our channel up on youtube hit subscribe for them um that we would be very thankful for some more subscribers so where's our by now we should have some like type of roadie or some type of like where's our stalker fan like some person's like man these guys are the truth man like they're really talking about it man like where are we he, he just left <laughs> <laughs> That is true. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, that's today. That's the movie. That's the show. And, and that's, that's the f***ing trailer. All right. <laughs> I can't even go in the booth, but I'm going anyway. Three coins. Each one seeking happiness. Seeking happiness. Jump behind the desk, David. Oh, man. God, Lee. Uh, Who'd ever thought we'd be this great at this stuff? <laughs>